0: last night at his concert in madison square garden harry styles was like it's so good to be back in new york i just had to pop over to venice to spit on chris pine really quick but now i'm back what in the world (laughs) it was it's wild the internet is is going wild this week
1: Welcome to Talking Underwater.
0: One water, one podcast.
1: I'm Bob Crosson, Senior Managing Editor of Water and Waste Digest.
0: I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater
1: Solutions. And in this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we will provide an overview of the Jackson, Mississippi water crisis. And we will also touch base on the latest proposal from the EPA, which relates to adding PFAS chemicals to the Superfund. Finally, our interview this month is with Jeff Cornell. He is Global PFAS Practice Lead for Black and Veatch. We talked about all things emerging contaminants, particularly as it relates to PFAS. But he also shared an exhaustive list of just how many things are on his and his industry's radar as it relates to water contamination. But first, a little bit of news. Katie, why don't you tell us a little bit about the crisis in Jackson, Mississippi?
0: Yeah, definitely. So following the flooding of the Pearl River and damages to pumps at the city's main water treatment facility, Jackson, Mississippi issued a water system emergency order on August 25th. This water crisis has affected more than 150,000 residents, leaving them no access to safe drinking water while businesses and schools had very little running water. As of Monday, September 5th, water pressure had been restored, but the city's tap water has not been declared safe to drink yet. The state-issued boil water notice remains in effect at the time of recording this episode, and Jackson Public Schools returned to in-person learning on Tuesday, September 6th, after moving to virtual learning due to the water crisis. Um, and on Sunday, FEMA said it is too soon to say when residents will have safe drinking water, um, And but according to a CNN article, Quote, city officials said significant gains in terms of water pressure were made late Friday night into Saturday at the O.B. Curtis Water Treatment Plant, increasing plant output to 86 pounds per square inch, closer to their goal of 87 PSI. And on Sunday, water pressure levels exceeded the goal, reaching 90 PSI. And on Monday, the city said the total plant output is currently meeting the goal of 87 PSI. So things are getting out of control, but it is still concerning that there's no safe drinking water. Um, And of course, there's been tons of speculation on, you know, why this is happening, a lot of damaged infrastructure talk and how this, you know, was, you know, probably inevitable at some point, as it could be in many areas of the United States.
1: Yeah, and also how it could have been avoidable if there mm-hmm. were more, more effort put into getting changing the infrastructure and improving that aging infrastructure and i know that the us epa administrator michael Regan had shared some information on twitter he's been very vocal and got doing a whole press tour specifically related to jackson mississippi so definitely check out his twitter account if you want to learn a little bit more about what he's saying about it because he's been very vocal on it and kind of helping to create some steps to bring some stability back to the city so
0: yeah absolutely and, and the jackson mayor said you know even when the boil water advisory is lifted, the water treatment infrastructure is still going to be in a fragile state, and he expects a long road ahead to achieve, you know, a, a s- equitable and sustainable water treatment facility, as I think we're seeing in a lot of different places. So um, we'll be sure to to keep our eye out on what's going on there and keep everyone updated.
1: Well, it's not the only thing that has kept the EPA busy this past month or so. Last month in August, toward the end of the month, I believe it was August 26th, the EPA shared its proposal to add PFOA and PFOS to the Comprehensive Environmental Response and Liability Act, also known as Superfund, and I'll be referring to it as CERCLA from here on out because it's a lot easier. We've talked about this particular issue before on the podcast. In fact, last month we talked about it, and the messaging that we've heard since that last episode, even with this change to this proposal and uh, releasing this proposal has not really changed in the release the epa explained that adding these two chemicals along with their salts and isomers to circula would quote increase transparency around releases of these harmful chemicals and help hold polluters accountable for cleaning up their contamination administrator regan also shared the following quote under this proposed rule epa will help will both will both help protect communities from PFAS pollution and seek to hold polluters accountable for their actions. Now, this is all well and good, and it's very much sets a tone for what EPA is looking to do here to hold polluters accountable, make sure that they pay for this. The problem comes in terms of the legalese of this and how the language ends up going through, because... Without an exemption, essentially water and wastewater utilities could also be considered those polluters, so they could also be held liable for the pollution of PFAS and that's not something that many industry experts or associations are really fond of. In fact, Travis Loop, the communications director for Water Environment Environment Federation said that water treatment facilities are receivers of pfos and pfoa and not manufacturers of these chemicals and that a circular designation for pfos and pfoa will quote greatly add to the cost of operating these facilities and managing biosolids which is absolutely true and something that we've we've mentioned before on the podcast the complexities here are just so varied and so far reaching without an exemption for utilities to handle biosolids to handle this biosolids and filtration media that may be laden with PFOS contamination, just by the very nature of removing it from water sources would put utilities at risk, it would put them into a liable position. And that Again, increases costs, puts strain on pretty normal processes. You can read a little bit more about this on our website. We have links to the full 100 plus page proposal that EPA has put out. They are saying that they're going to have that in the Federal Register sometime soon, at which point it will be open for public comment. And then the last thing I will note on this too is that I did bring this up with our interview this month with Jeff Cornell, the global PFAS lead for Black and Veatch. And there's some more information in that as well. And in fact, why don't we just throw to that interview? So I'm now here with Jeff Cornell. He is the Global PFAS Practice Lead for Black and Beach. Welcome to Talking Underwater, Jeff. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. So
1: we're talking about emerging contaminants this month, and I know there's a lot of talk on emerging contaminants right now, particularly with PFOA and PFOS, but what are some of, those other, what are some of the main contaminants? They're kind of top of mind for everyone in the water industry right now, in addition to just those two.
2: That's a great question, and um, you know, you're, I'll weave in and out of talking about uh, these other emerging contaminants and comparison to PFAS because it's really important to say, you know, and understand where are we now? What have we learned from really twenty years now of dealing with emerging contaminants? How did this all come to a to a head? And uh, as uh, I'll take a, a quote from one of your previous podcasts, which I thought was excellent, um, how do we come to a balanced system approach to emerging contaminants? Because it's becoming too big and convoluted and complex to deal with all of these contaminants on a compound by compound basis. So, mm-hmm. the the top of mind stuff, of course, PFAS is currently the current the the 800 pound gorilla in the emerging contaminant room. But you know, uh, it's not surprising that what the other top of mind chemicals are, depends on your view and your perspective, where you're working, what system or process you're working on and what industrial or government sector you're working in. And I'm also got to say that I found it helpful and and Black and Beach kind of looks at this, not just from an emerging contaminant, but also an emerging issue uh, Mm. standpoint. And that allows us to pull in the the systems around some of these contaminants, for example, uh, lead service lines. Lead. It would be tough to say it's an emerging contaminant, but it's an emerging issue. Combined with the emphasis on finding every lead service line and or lead or galvanized line, and and uh, remediating that situation, it's it's a big deal, and it's it's right up there at the top, and maybe above uh, PFAS for a lot of water utilities right now, but you know a whole system balanced approach is necessary to support you know our water and wastewater utilities efforts to deal with these new regulations and that starts with this question what's on top of mind so there's a couple of places you quickly go and and they're not super helpful to water and wastewater really right now but but you have to be mindful of them governments have said what's over the horizon for them or what they've been looking at the the eu has a government watch list with some steroids antibiotics pesticides herbicides they've even got a uv filter chemical something Mm -hmm. that prevents the use of or or inhibits the use of uv uh, disinfection and and an antioxidant it's kind of a strange list but that's in the eu those are the the the, their their watch list of emerging contaminants Mm -hmm. the u.s epa has different methods of developing emerging contaminants list They've got this federal facility contaminants a concern. It's a big deal because behind it comes a lot of research and a lot of policy, and it tends to drive the rest of the market Something of the water and wastewater industry has to deal with. Mm-hmm. Significantly, the PFAS issue we're dealing today has definitely been fueled by not just government's concern about water and wastewater, but the billions and billions of dollars they've put into investigating the scope uh, of the PFAS problem in, in the uh, federal sector, but the, the federal facility list has 1,4-dioxane, uh, a bunch of explosives, TNT, RDX, etc., perchlorate, old school emerging contaminant, a bunch, a couple of flame retardants, and tungsten. Mm-hmm. Then you've got EPA Safe Drinking Water Act emerging contaminant list, which is really the UCMR chemical list. Very important. And um, right now we, we see this as when, when we get asked, Black Beach gets asked by our, our, our clients a lot, you know, what treatment standards should I be looking for? Mm-hmm. It's PFOS, right? No, 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 no. In January, the UCMR-5 is coming out. You can bet that they're on that list for a reason. So we're looking at 29 PFAS chemicals that are stored in our sites. But then we've got other watch lists that are generated through the TRI, the toxicity reporting inventory through EPCRA, through TOSCA, et cetera, et cetera. And so to, to be specific, besides PFAS in the water space, the water supply space, 14 d and NDMA are big concerns right now, especially for water reuse operations or or when you have a surface water, you know, water under the influence. Um, they're often regulated dev- together. It's, it's a big deal. And um, um, it's an expensive problem. It's not something that we can't fix, but it is an expensive problem. Um, and uh, perchlorate, you could throw in that as well. We've got some other problems like perchlorate and believe it or not, PCBs and some things that are happening because of. Um, or that are a problem for water supply because of climate change issues and sustainability issues. Our lack of water in some municipalities is driving the use of water in shallower and shallower aquifers that are under stress from oh, under yeah. contamination. So suddenly PCBs for chloride and other contaminants are, are re-emerging as water uh, supply uh, treatment issues. Disinfection byproducts may be taking on a new life. The six-year cycle for looking at DBP rules is coming up, mm-hmm. so and and we're at the same time, we're seeing higher levels of bromide in water supplies, which, you know, is what where where you know THMs three of the four THMs are brominated and 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 HACs uh, are 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 partly uh, due to higher bromine levels. So the DBP um uh renewal cycle and, and review cycle is something we want to watch and it may be something that that causes a revision of that rule that we have to live with of course in water we mentioned it the lead service line issues and and, and the, the new or the uh, revisions to the lead copper rule are really important and and probably the most stark example of a of a uh, of a contaminant issue becoming an emerging uh, uh issue that it's it's just a little more complicated than just an emerging contaminant Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some crazy stuff. Again, going back to climate change and sustainability, surface water supplies are becoming warmer. So mm-hmm. there's some problems related to that. For instance, and, and, and if your water supply are getting at, with a surface water source, the fact that uh, Negliria fowleri, that, that um, terrible amoeba that causes brain infections nearly yeah. fatal, is starting to show up in higher and higher latitudes perhaps that's a harbinger of issues to come for water suppliers. We, you know, this is, it's all one big system.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, for for wastewater, going down the list here, wastewater, um, besides uh, uh, PFAS and, and systemic issues, quats, quaternary, quaternary amines, or triazoles, et cetera, things that are inhibiting the biological systems. There, we still need a lot of research to be able to identify, quantify, and solve the problems caused by those compounds personal care products, pharmaceuticals, that ebbs and flows as far as how much uh, interest there is. PFAS has kind of swamped everybody. Yeah. But with, with with all of these things, the fate and transport in the system, in the treatment system, where they're coming from, uh, uh, how we select toxic and uh, toxicological endpoints for um, making uh, decisions about the, the harm that they caused and, and the uh, safe levels that we can to, uh, be exposed to are all very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, another, I'm going to say another couple of emerging issues facing both water and wastewater is this idea that water and wastewater utilities are the passive receiver. And, and I'm sure you've heard that Yes, before, absolutely. Um, of, of these contaminants. They didn't generate them. They didn't make them. They didn't use them. People aren't supposed to be dumping them and they're hitting their treatment plants, they're coming in and, and, and hauled in trucks, they're coming in through uh, contaminated groundwater plumes through uh, infiltration, mm-hmm. they're coming in through residential use, they're coming in through runoff from uh, from uh, uh, industrial operations as well as discharge from industrial operations. Point and non-point source, just as much as something like a nutrient problem in, in a watershed, in a, in a farm area. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, the the the... All of the issues surrounding this are as important as the emerging contaminant itself, mm-hmm. and and of course going back to PFAS, it's Exhibit A for this, but not the only one. Um, you know, and, and for example, the uh, the PFAS enters the biosolids. Yeah, solids are then disposed of in a landfill, which creates mm-hmm. leachate filled with PFAS, which goes back to the wastewater treatment plant, which creates biosolids, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Or Um,
1: don't even start with land application too. you also have that element as well.
2: (laughs) The land application. Okay, so we've got a passive receiver issue. And it's compounded the land application is a great thing. I love to talk about that. Because um, I think the science would tell us that the exposure burden to individuals from land application is exceptionally low, even though you have some very problematic and worrisome from a public relations standpoint, issue of contamination of say an or, an, an organic dairy or mm-hmm. a meat processing plant or a, a farm, an organic farm. Yeah. So you, you have problems from that, but you've got the poor municipal utilities that are not only passive receivers, but to be honest, if you look at the exposure burden from that they are asked to take care of, it's really only a small fraction of the exposure burden of of humans you could say it's more to the environment but it's a small fraction of the exposure burden uh, that's affecting human health yet they're getting the lion's share of the regulatory attention yeah so the system's approach to how we're going to reduce human and environmental exposure to this stuff um is is, needs to be and is under examination yeah Um, so I guess the last thing I want to say real quickly, or the, the two last things on, on, on issues and, and what's on top of mind in dealing with emerging contaminants, destruction technologies and treatment technologies in general are really expensive. And this market is moving fast and the development of these things are coming fast, faster than the peer reviewed, independent review uh inventors and vendors claims can be uh validated and 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 cost and performance really independent cost and performance reports of technologies is something that's that's sorely needed and then there's the CERCLA issue i'll start with <laughs> one for dioxane uh, epa in ohio recently um has has used a CERCLA approach to uh to enforce Um, the investigation of 1,4-dioxane and hazardous waste sites. That's treating it like a circular chemical. With PFAS, they just went all in and said, we're going to use section 102 of CIRCLA. It's a a little, I don't want to get into legalese too much, but they've never used section 102 of CIRCLA to designate a hazardous material. the, the the way it's set up is um, something is designated under the Safe Drinking Water Act or RICRA or or TOSCA mm-hmm. or something like that, and then it then it becomes a circle liability. But they've said no nope, no, nope. we're going around all that and just using Section 102. That means a wastewater treatment plant solids could be a hazardous material under Circle. That's a whole Pandora's box. Oh, it's transporting the stuff. If you're transporting the stuff from a landfill. You probably—it's not impossible—that you might spill some of that leachate. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is this is a real problem. Still bottoms, uh resins and media spent media that mm-hmm. were now prob- that were problematic to transport and expensive to dispose of or destroy now carry with them potentially circle liability. Mm-hmm. This is a, a massive escalation of the liability that we're asking our municipal uh utilities to take on and it's it's a real problem and and again we've seen it with both dioxin in a small way and pfas Mm. in a big way so we can assume that uh epa will uh, uh, is at least considering using this for other emerging contaminants as well
1: yeah, this whole issue with the with Circla and Superfund it, it it's very and it's very complex too. I don't, I don't want to like boil it down to be something like as if it's so simple because it, it there is a 100-page document right now, right, on the preliminary uh proposal on that. Um so it's not it's a very complex issue that has far-ranging effects, right? It's not just about um the you know, it's not just about like holding polluters accountable, which is part of that, but there is this unintended consequence, it seems like, uh, of impacting the water and wastewater utilities.
2: There is. And let me tell you, it makes investment decisions much more difficult. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're, say, a uh, wastewater treatment plant and you're thinking, you know, this is terrible, but these landfills have got to have someplace to take their leachate. You know, we've mm-hmm. got we've got to do something. We're here for the public good. And now let's let's see, you know, it's going to cost a lot, but we could probably Set up some type of treatment system here. Pre-treatment, keep it out of our biosolids. As soon as it comes in the gate in those trucks, we we diverted. We could fractionate it, concentrate it, destroy the fractionate. And, and but now,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but now, circle of liability makes puts all that into question. And and I'm afraid this will have a chilling effect on the ability of uh, of uh, you know wastewater treatment plants to to deal with an already problematic issue.
1: Yeah. So when when you're looking at this, I I imagine that Black and Veatch also looks at this from a one water lens of like, how does this impact the entire kind of water sector, not just individual verticals within? How do you guys view these issues through that lens? Are there there certain things that you look for? Are are there opportunities that exist? How does that present new challenges?
2: Well, uh, Black and Veatch, I think, uh, really, really does a good job of taking an, an operator's mindset or an owner's mindset mm-hmm. into um, its relationships with its clients. And so we um, work with uh, the, the the from a one water concept, we offer end to end services without getting in the business of developing, say, a, a new widget or a, a something mm-hmm. behind a, a pr- proprietary information firewall, we, we work with the operators to say, start to finish. All right. Let's survey the problem. Yeah. What are your vulnerabilities? What are the investment decisions you want to make? What data do you need to make those investment decisions? What uncertainty will you accept in that data? All right, let's get this to the place where we can support your investment decisions, help you with the, the um, uh, thinking about treatment standards for the current regulatory situation and what we see over the horizon. A perfect example is, um, treatment standards, PFOS, right? No, no, no. PFPS is right in there. Mm-hmm. Gen X is right in there. 29 uh, chemicals in UCMR5. You got to think about all of those going mm-hmm. forward. So let's build a resilient system uh, that that is is can be um, uh, upgraded quickly and easily and uh, for a low cost in the future as the regulatory environment changes. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at uh, supporting. Our clients from one water standpoint, when they want to look at this from an environmental justice standpoint, for example, they, uh, one of the, one of the things, and this is, uh, you know, one of the things that that is, I think, really valuable in the um, IIJA funding is it's so focused on disadvantaged communities, but yet the same disadvantaged communities don't have, they can't say, Hey, Bob, go down to the fifth floor and talk to the grant writing uh professional staff and let's let's get this so uh you know black we 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 try to um work with sometimes the bigger clients and working on a regional basis for these things and sometimes work directly with the smaller or or disadvantaged communities to help them to understand the uh the state revolving funding or alternative funding processes that are available to them so that so that we can help the money that the government has appropriated to uh, disadvantaged communities to actually get there and do some good. Mm-hmm. From a one water process, again, it's all about balancing, you know you want the the wastewater operations to to stay viable. So we look at the uh, regulatory and the public uh, uh, advocacy and and the media. Um, uh, views on the utility and how they're operating, but also the litigation risks. A lot of mm-hmm. municipalities are uh, in a say area where there's a high risk of, of litigation, or better story, they're actually in an area that's likely to receive funds from a state uh, lawsuit that is going to bring money into their water district to, to help them deal with a with a situation. Again, these are these are very complex issues, especially for smaller. uh uh, utilities and we have a lot of uh, experience and expertise in helping them navigate those issues
1: yeah well and just hearing your the, the answer to your first question and just just the litany of items that are rising in concern for water and wastewater utilities um that always is going to create these business opportunities where people are trying to create technology to remove them to treat them to remediate Are there certain things within that realm, within that technology sphere, that are really exciting you moving forward, looking at some of these particular issues that are um, growing and rising really rapidly right now?
2: There sure are. Um, A couple of things is the development, of course, of new technologies. I think everyone uh, is uh, uh, pretty excited about. Um, the you know dr Dicto's teams up at northwestern work to produce low temperature mineralization of the perforal carboxylic acids you know with with common chemicals and a little bit of heat it's not anything that's going to change the world right away but it it reminds me of when um, way back in the 80s folks thought that plumes of gasoline in the ground were going to move at warp speed and contaminate every single bit of groundwater in the entire state so there was a couple of studies that showed, no, they're really not moving. And we don't know why. It turns out mm-hmm. it was biological uh, degradation. This is that kind of, possibly this, this is that kind of watershed moment. So we're very excited about those type of uh, of discoveries. But also, um, alternative treatment technologies and, and the optimization and, and uh, utilization of things like supercritical water o- oxidation um uh, plasma certainly plasma technology the development of it the modularization of it the optimization of it are are very exciting we're we're finding that it's going to take a while but we're going to get to a point where we can cost effectively uh destroy these PFAS compounds down to just uh, uh fluorine and uh and and really take it out of the system there's so much in the system all, you know, we, we we can't ever get it out of the whole environment. It's in the rainwater, et cetera. But but we can uh, at the at the municipal utility level, uh, we do have uh, technologies that are being developed at warp speed that that are going to help us and and make us able to handle this. The the what I'm excited about though is there's um, a growing recognition uh, that even at at a small level you or even at a small utility or a small municipality level, there's a need for technology validation. Um, a simple pilot test is not enough. You often have to say, okay, in God we trust, all, all others bring us third-party verified data. So the idea that more and more um, utilities are actually allowing some type of side-by-side comparison of, of different technologies is very important and it's and it's accelerating our knowledge about this. The other thing that I think is pretty great is there was always been um, a hope that we could just do a, a quick bench scale test. There are even some people that were saying, hey, we don't need to do this bench scale and pilot testing. We have computer models. We've got enough data from the past that we can just put up an operational test. Well, that, that didn't really work, but the industry has really put a lot of time and effort into developing uh, bench scale testing, RSSCT tests, and and recirculating um, uh, uh, isotherm tests that, you uh, can, can more effectively get us to a good pilot test and a good operational uh, place with uh, design for our especially uh, drinking water supply um, utilities. So the uh, quick the, the increase in knowledge in the, the ability to go from bench scale to pilot to operational testing is very helpful. Another thing I'm excited about is new alternative adsorbents. Um, you know, there's uh, made for purpose uh, ion exchange resins, which we know and love and helped us, you know, get through perchlorate and helped us get through uh, you know a whole bunch of other uh, different types of contaminant situations and have worked pretty well for, for PFAS and other things. But new adsorbents that are being used for some of these emerging contaminants is is a big deal. And, and the first real new uh, uh twist to adsorbent technology that we've seen, you know, GAC was a big deal, and then there was mm-hmm. IEX, and then there was designer IEX. And and this this new entry into that arena, I think is is going to serve us well and, and going to make uh, everybody sharpen their pencils and, and drive the cost effectiveness of adsorbent technologies.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. Exciting stuff. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's good. To know, it's good to know that despite all the complexity that it, it seems to be seems to ha- be happening right now with all these emerging contaminants and regulations, that there are people who are meeting the need <laughs> of of the utilities that need to address these particular things. Well, um, last question here is, you know, l- looking for looking at this from Black and Veatch's lens and kind of like the future, like, how are you guys looking at these emerging contaminants? What's on your roadmap to follow up on to make sure that you're keeping top of mind? And how does that inform things for you guys looking into 2023 and beyond?
2: Sure. Um, well, it's a it's a uh I'd like to say it's a three-legged stool, but it's more like an eight-legged stool. <laughs> but there are a few things uh, we're doing. And first and foremost, and is this sounds very basic, but we're not just listening to the clients because the clients, our clients are swamped. And uh, they depend on us, again, as an owner's advisor or owner's engineer, to survey the regulatory environment, the political environment, the technology environment, and come to them and prompt them. So we, we're, we're working very hard internally to make sure that our professional staff and our client facing staff have the very best information about new bench scale techniques, new uh, adsorbent technologies, new destruction technologies, regulatory issues. Um, I just published a a long, a pretty detailed thought piece on circle liability and sent it out to all of our folks that um, deal with uh, wastewater treatment plants so that they could learn this and talk to their clients about it or or pass it on to their clients. And then after we've had the uh, interaction with clients, we listen, then we give them the new information, our analysis, and then we start talking about the future. How do we go forward? Did you know that some of the srf money that is going out to states are some of them are having a hard time spending this so there's some clients that didn't think they would be eligible well the the ties are the boundaries are going to be loosened on that so we're we're talking with our clients and trying to give them information to support their uh, short-term and long-term planning process we are their their eyes and ears on the future and over the horizon secondly you know keeping our pro staff up to date on all the most current regulatory and and policy developments. We also have an Ignite X program that we're very proud of. We're we're supporting some work at uh, a a few places. One of the things I, I, I love to talk about is the University of Missouri in Kansas City where um, Dr. Megan Hart is doing uh, some great work with some advanced oxidative processes. And mm-hmm. so we're, we're trying to uh, move the industry forward from a technology standpoint, but also from a thought leadership standpoint, uh, working closely with WEF and NAWWA, uh, uh, contributing um, some of our top uh, uh, technical professionals to their panels and their discussions and their conferences, and, um, you know, trying to help uh, lend whatever uh, small amount of expertise and experience we can to the uh, to the strategy uh, making and, and advocacy work that they're doing I, I think is is very important and finally and most importantly this operator's mindset this we, we're a 110 year old company engineering company and and employee owned that's rarefied air and that's a very yeah. special place to be and the reason that we're there I think is because Uh, We have always gone into every client and said, all right, we're going to put ourselves in your shoes first and foremost. How do we plan this? How do we design this? How do we maintain this? How do we optimize your CapEx and OpEx? How do we carefully look through all of the different technologies that are being offered to you and design a system to test them so that you come out with the best cost and performance data and make the best decisions and the most resilient decisions about the future? Mm
1: Well, thank you so much for taking the time with me. I really appreciate you spending all this time and talking about all these issues. It's a, a lot to, to process, and you've done a great job of kind of like boiling it down and making it easy, easy for us to understand.
2: Well, thanks, Bob. I sure appreciate the opportunity. Love your podcast. Gonna keep keep listening to it, and uh, uh, you guys keep uh, uh, keep telling the truth and um, you know making our industry better. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later.
1: so much jeff for that interview i learned a tremendous amount from that i know there's a lot packed in there for everyone who's listening there's a pretty lengthy interview compared to some of our other ones but i felt that his information was really really valuable and important and he has some really excellent points all throughout so thank you so much for taking the time with us jeff to to tell us about some of that stuff but on to housekeeping i'm gonna actually have katie start us off
0: Sure. So StormCon is fast approaching. It starts on September 26th and you can still register for the main conference. The main conference will cover BMP, stormwater, green infrastructure, all your favorite stormwater and erosion control topics. So visit stormcon.com for more information and to register. And of course, if you're there, I'll be there too. So I hope we can uh, connect and catch up.
1: And on that note, I also will be traveling soon to WEFTEC in New Orleans. I'll be in the Endeavor Business Media booth, which is number 137. So if you're at the show, please come by, say hello. Love to meet with you. It would be, be great to catch up with some listeners. And as always, I also want to point, point you to our YouTube channel, the WWD YouTube channel, where we have weekly video interviews covering the latest news and trends. So And while you're there, please do subscribe. We just hit 100 subscribers uh, recently, and we're looking to increase that over the coming months.
0: And with that, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also reach us at TalkingUnderwater at EndeavorB2B.com to share your thoughts. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks for listening.